0: glad you're here today we're in revelation chapter 19 verses 1 through 10 it's the marriage of the lamb so if you would stand for reading of god's word now remember where we're at babylon has been destroyed now heaven's going to burst forth in praise and we're also going to see the marriage of the lamb so starting in verse 1 after these things i heard a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven saying alleluia salvation and glory and honor and power belong to the lord our god For true and righteous are his judgments, because he has judged the great harlot who corrupted the earth with their fornication, and he has avenged on her the blood of the servants shed by her. Again they said, Alleluia. Her smoke rises up forever and ever, and the twenty-four elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who sat on the throne saying, Amen, Alleluia. Then a voice came from the throne saying, Praise our God, all of you his servants and those who fear him, both small and great. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, as the sound of many waters, and as the sound of mighty thundering, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife has made herself ready. And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen and and, and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Then he said to me, Right blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true sayings of God. And I fell at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, see that you do not do that. I am your fellow servant and of your brethren who have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Father, we thank you for your word. And God, I just really thank you that at some point, this Babylonian system that we're living in will be dealt with. This evil will be dealt with. Because of your great love, you have to deal with evil, Lord, and we're so thankful for that. One day, everything will be right here on earth in the millennial reign and for eternity. We look forward to those days, Lord. Speak to us now things that you want us to hear from your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Again, it's the marriage of the Lamb. Now, hopefully by this time, you have been in the teaching on a regular basis. When I mentioned Babylon What do you think? And I'm hoping, yes, I'm hoping it's a world system that has been in place. The great harlot is the religious system that started all the way back with Adam and Eve. It became formalized at the Tower of Babel and has existed right through our time now. And remember, this system hates the people of God. And even today, more are being persecuted, more are dying for their faith today than any time prior to this time. And a matter of fact, all the people that have died for their faith doesn't amount to the number that are being killed today by Babylon for believing in the true God. Satan hates the people of God. Now, I had a picture here last time about religious Babylon. And remember, this is from verse by verse ministries, and this shows us that the whole world, practically, is under the Babylonian influence or sway. The only outlier is Christianity. And remember, Christianity claims to be one fourth, two billion people of the eight billion people, but it's really much less than that, the true church. And all of these systems, all of these systems are worshiping false gods, whether it's Buddhism, Hinduism, Islam. Confucianism, Confucianism, <laughs> Confucianism, yeah, worshiping the false god. Then we also talked about uh, political and governmental Babylon. And that system was going to be destroyed. That, that city is going to be destroyed. There'll be an actual city that Antichrist will reign in, and that will be destroyed. And that's our next picture here. Remember, the nations will come from the north and destroy Babylon. The significant thing here is this little tank is representing the uh, Megiddo, The army staging here for its war against the people of God. Now, Antichrist hears that Babylon, his capital, has been destroyed. Instead of getting his troops from here over to Babylon, he decides to attack Jerusalem because he wants to kill every Jew possible in Jerusalem. Why? So they can't plead for Messiah to return and admit their national sin of rejecting Messiah. So what does he do? He goes down to Basra after that. And he tries to kill the remnant. It is at that point that they plead for Jesus to return and they admit their national sin. Jesus comes back and from Basra, well, from Basra, right down in here, up into into Jerusalem, there is a bloodbath of Antichrist armies. Antichrist and the false prophet will, will be thrown, will be captured, thrown into the lake of fire alive. And all the earth dwellers that have been resisting Jesus Christ will be killed and they will end up in the holding tank called torment waiting for the great white throne judgment. So I want you to think about this. When Babylon was destroyed, the posture of the world was grieving. And if you remember last time, there were three elements of that. They were the kings who grieved, the merchants who grieved, and the shipmasters who grieved. All of them were profiting from Babylon. All of them were immersed in the Babylonian system. And then I have a picture here that I thought was kind of a neat picture of how people are lamenting, this is money, this is your money boat, and they see Babylon destroyed, and all of these guys see the, everything that they've invested all of their lives in, gone in a moment. Gone in a moment. For in one hour she is made desolate. What I want you to think about is this. We are living in Babylon today, that the influence of the Babylonian system. Governmentally and religiously, we are living in that system. Now, since I'm here, how do I resist that system? And I want you to think about this. Our marching orders and our duties are clear in Scripture. Number one, fear God. Secondly, put away the false gods. And thirdly, we are to serve him. Now, we got that from Joshua chapter 24, verse 14 through 15 where it's seven times it says, serve God, serve God, serve God. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That is how we survive Babylon. Everything directed towards God. We have a fear of him that is an awesome respect for God and a tremulous fear, okay? And then we we want to serve him with every, every part of our being. Serve him with every part of our being. So let me ask you this question. When you think of serving God, which, by the way, is the word avada, and it means to serve, work, till, plow, to honor, but you know what it also means? To worship. Your serving God is an act of worship to God. Now, most Christians, you go around in most churches, you know, 20%, if you're good, if you're lucky, usually 10% or so are actually serving in some capacity. And most of the time, people will use excuses as to why not to serve. Now, how do I know this? Because I've used these excuses. (laughs) I've been right there. Oh, that's not my calling. And and one of the biggest things we, we think about is, I'm uncomfortable with this. You're asking me to do something I'm uncomfortable with. Well, let me ask you this question. Was it comfortable for Jesus to leave heaven and come here and die on a cross? It was not comfortable, okay? It wasn't comfortable. Don't be afraid to be stretched. It's stretched. Now watch this guy right here. This is Stretch Armstrong. And you remember this if you were a kid 40 years ago or so. We had this in our house, okay? And this is what it's like when you're stretched. It's not easy, but guess what? There's always value to it. In serving God, there's always a reward. And there's always a sense that you have your purpose and fulfillment Now, this week, we're going to talk about the marriage of the Lamb, and it's going to start in verses 1 through 3. The great multitude is going to be praising God. After these things, I heard a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven saying, Alleluia. Now, heaven, if you don't want noise, you better get used to it. Crank up the noise because there's going to be a lot of praising there, and it's going to be loud. Alleluia. Salvation, glory, and honor, power, Belong to the Lord our God. Everything is directed towards God. For true and righteous are his judgments. Babylon is being judged. This whole world will be judged. Because he has judged the great harlot. Who corrupted the earth with their fornication. He has avenged on her the blood of his servants. Shed by her. Again they said, Alleluia. Her smoke rises up forever and ever. Babylon will be destroyed. And never come into power again. Four times. Four times. In these beginning scriptures, verses 1, 3, 4, and 6, we see Alleluia. That means praise Yah. J-A-H. Praise Yah. Praise Yahweh. Praise Jehovah. Everything is directed towards that. Now, who are this great multitude? That is the question. Now, we'll allow scripture to interpret scripture. If you remember in Revelation chapter 7-9... These were the martyred tribulation saints. That's what I think is being being projected here. These are the ones killed by the Antichrist. They refused to bow and take the mark of the beast. They were killed, beheaded, killed in some form. Chapter 7, verse 14 says, These came out of the great tribulation, telling us these are tribulation saints. This is not the church. These are tribulation saints. Now, why are they praising God? Because God is going to judge the harlot. God is going to judge this Babylonian system. And let me say this loud and clear, because a lot of people don't understand this. God's love mandates that he deals with evil. It mandates he deals with evil. It would be unloving for God to allow allow evil to go unchecked, unchecked, unchecked forever. It is loving of God. And remember this, it's also God that extracts vengeance. It's not us, it's God. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, I will repay. Now, we experience living in Babylon a lot of pressure, a lot of tensions, a lot of discomforts, a lot of persecution. It's getting getting more and more for the church throughout the world, but you are feeling it today coming to our house, coming to our land. So, what are we to do with our enemies that are attacking us? And you know what Jesus said to do? Love them. Now, I was going to put a great big, what? What? You asking me? To, uh, that, that is an impossible thing. Jesus said, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. Pray for those who spitely, spitefully use you and persecute you. Now, this is not natural, is it? This isn't something we just do out of the chute. No, no, this is not natural. But it's a Jesus miracle for sure. It's only as we dwell in him that we can do this. Now listen to this. Satan screams into your ear, revenge. Oh, revenge. Your world, the flesh, they're all screaming into your ear, paybacks, paybacks. I've been wronged. I deserve my rights. And Jesus says, Love and forgive. That's the Jesus way. That is not how we are programmed. <laughs> you poke me in the eye, I'll give you the Larry, Moe, and Curly. I'll give you two eyes. So. But we are called to be different in this world, aren't we? And so the Jesus way, we can only do as we dwell on him. It'll be expounded on more in just a second. Verse 4, the 24 elders and the four living creatures are going to praise God. Now, this is a different group, a different group. Verse 4, And the twenty-four elders, separate from the, 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 from the others, and the four living creatures fell down, worshiped God who sat on the throne, saying, Amen, Alleluia. Now, the question is, and it's always been throughout Christendom, is who are the twenty-four elders? So if you have been in our teaching, you know that I believe the twenty-four elders are the church. And there's a reason for that. I'm not just grabbing it out of the air, out of, out of left field. It is the church. Revelation chapter 4, verse 4 says this, this. These 24 elders are clothed in white and they have crowns of gold. Those are Stephanos crowns, Victor's crowns. Only the church is pictured as having crowns. More of that a little bit later too. Revelation 4.10, what do we do with our crowns? We cast them at the feet of Jesus, realizing that everything that we've done for him is he has allowed us to do it. In Revelation 5.8 and 9, it says, these are the redeemed by the blood of Christ. Now, who are the ones that are redeemed by the blood of Christ? Everyone through history, but in context with these 24 elders, it's talking about the church. In Revelation 5.10, who are going to be kings and priests? The church is going to be kings and priests. We'll have reigning responsibilities in the millennial kingdom. I don't know what happens in eternity, but at least for a thousand years, we're going to have positions. The four living creatures are angelic beings, probably of high order, cherubim or seraphim. So the 24 elders and the four living creatures mentioned separately give credence that those mentioned in verse one are tribulation saints. They are different than the church. Verse 5 and 6, watch this. Everything in heaven, everyone in heaven, the Old Testament saints, tribulation saints, the church that has been raptured are going to be praising God. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, as the sound of many waters, as the sound of mighty thundering, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord our God omnipotent reigns, all power. Omnipotence is all power, lacks not a shred of power to do what he desires to do. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory, everyone. And why? Why give him glory? Why is all of heaven bursting forth with this? Because the marriage of the Lamb has come and his wife has made herself ready. Who is the wife? The church. It's the church. And to her it was granted to be arrayed arraigned in fine linen, clean and bright for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. All of heaven bursts forth in praise because God is judging evil. And remember this Babylonian system that we are in today has persecuted the people of God from the beginning. Babylon, Persia, Greece, Rome, 10 nation confederation, everybody, the antichrist persecutes the people of God. That's historically what has happened. And heaven breaks forth in praise. Hear this. That praise is written in the present tense. And it's written as a command. And it means keep praising. Keep praising. Keep praising. Keep praising God. Praise, folks, is a fruit. Something that is produced in us. How? By staying close to God. Staying close to our shepherd. Hebrews 13, 15 says this, Therefore, by him, speaking of Jesus, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. Praise him. The only way that we can do that is if we're dwelling in him, not allowing the system that we're living in to to dominate us or take us over. The praise in heaven is loud. It's raging like a raging waterfall, like thunder, loud like a frenzied football stadium. You go to University of Michigan Stadium and it, <laughs> loud. Heaven sounds like exciting to me. Now, listen to this. There are people that say, you mean heaven's going to be forever and we're going to be on this cloud and it's just going to be, you know, praising and just, just praising forever? I, I don't think I like that. It's it's going to be boring to me. I, I can't imagine doing that. Well, let me say this to you. They do not know who God is. Forever, just think of this. Never a scintilla of boredom. You're not going to be on the heaven train going, oh, when are we going to get there? It's going to be exuberance, it will be excitement. And think about this, new discoveries, new horizons, new experiences, and guess for how long? Forever. It's not a billion years. It's not a jillion years, if there's such a thing, or a sepgillion or whatever. It is forever. I mean, look at the creation, look at the absolute creative ability of God, and when I get to the end of this talk, I'm going to read you something that you're going to get a sense of what this is going to be like. Now, the most exuberant, exciting moment for us is going to be the marriage of the Lamb. That's verses 7 and 8, which I've just read to you, but I'll read it again. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come. That's like hip, hip, hooray. And his wife has made herself ready. And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Let me ask you a question. Think about this. Why? Is it the marriage of the lamb? Why isn't isn't it the marriage of Christ, the anointed one? Why isn't it the marriage of the lion of the tribe of Judah? Why isn't it the marriage of the king of kings and the Lord of lords? All of those would be appropriate. But why are we saying the lamb? Because it was the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world that paid the price for his bride, his life for your life. That is why it's the lamb. The lamb sacrificed himself for his bride, he, the church, and he died for you. Guess what? When, when the scripture says, behold the lamb, John the Baptist said in John one twenty nine. John saw Jesus coming towards him, and he says, behold the lamb. Behold the lamb. He's the one that's coming. And John had a lot of people following him, John the Baptist. But he points everything towards Jesus. I'm not worthy to unlatch his sandals. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That eradicates sin. Aren't you glad of that? As far as the east is from the west, he's taken your sins from us. Though our sins be as scarlet, they as white as snow. I'm, like, I'm saying like, thank you, Jesus, for doing that. So undeserving. Presently, right now, for you who have said yes to the offer of salvation, you know what you're in? You're in the engagement time. You're betrothed to, 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 the, to the bridegroom. The engagement, it's a Holy Spirit, is our guarantee of our inheritance. Do you know that? The Holy Spirit is a guarantee that you will inherit what the bridegroom inherits. You are the bride. When you get married, what do you inherit? Chris and I inherit, well, we didn't have anything, but what, our little thing that we had, we inherited together, okay? We had it together in heaven. Jesus has everything and we inherit everything because he is the bridegroom. We are the bride. Ephesians 1, 13, 14 says this, having believed you were sealed with the Holy spirit. You know what that is? Ownership, authority, security. You are secure owned by, by, by your, by your savior. A spirit of promise who is the guarantee of our inheritance. And that guarantee is the earnest deposit. This will happen for you who believe. We are the bride of Christ waiting our wedding day. And we are to be watchful. Watchful. Be ready for our bridegroom. Be faithful to our bridegroom. We're living in Babylon. Babylon wants to take you away from your bridegroom. Babylon will entice you with all the enticements of the world to take you away. But oh no. Oh no. We are going to be faithful. Waiting for his return. His wife has made herself ready. How? How is a bride to be made ready? Watchful. Faithful. Prepared. For the bridegroom's return. Now we've gone through this in the past. So bear with me. The Jewish wedding ceremony. Very quickly, four steps. Number one is this. In biblical times, a young man would want to get married to a woman just like today. Okay, nothing new there. Usually it was prearranged. The young man would go with his father to the prospective bride's house. They would negotiate the bride price, the dowry. It would be money, physical items, or that sort of thing. Once they came to the conclusion of what the, what the lady was worth, then they did this. The man's father would hand his son a cup of wine. The son in turn would offer to the woman and say, this cup I offer you. Now picture this with Jesus offering you salvation. This cup of salvation, giving it to the world, I offer to you. Now, this is in essence is this. This is saying, I love you. I love you, and I offer my life to you. And the bride will say, I love you, and will accept the offer or reject it. Now, her acceptance is, is by drinking the cup. If she rejects, she won't drink the cup. Okay? That's phase one. Phase two, the, the, prescri- the, the prospective bridegroom is now... Yay, yay, okay, this is great. What does the bridegroom do? He goes to father's house. And what does he do in father's house? He adds on a room, a separate dwelling place for he and his bride to dwell in. Father, phase three, has to release the son at an unknown time. He inspects the work. It meets his expectations. And then the son is released to fetch his bride. That is, that, is, that is the rapture of the church. That is when the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God. So there's people that go through the, through the city of Jerusalem shouting. There's a trumpet blast. And then the, the bridegrooms all come out hoping it's them. The bride has to be watching and ready. And in an unknown time, Jesus will be released by the Father to fetch his bride Again, this is the rapture of the church and that is the reason that Jesus said in Mark 13, 32, but of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the son, but only the father. And then the final phase is the the marriage supper. And this is where all of the guests are invited. The Old Testament saints, the tribulation saints, all of the pre-Pentecost people are invited. You folks are the church. You are the bride of Christ and you are special. Special. Now thinking about the bride, where he's going to come, and he's going to take us to father's house. Remember in John 14 verses one through three, in my father's house are many rooms. If we're not, so I've told you, so I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I'll come to receive you unto myself that where I am, you will be also. So he's taking us to father's house. He's not taking us for the battle of Armageddon. He's not taking his engaged bride there. No, he's going to Father's house. Now, I think the first thing that happens in Father's house is this. The first thing that happens in heaven after the rapture, this is part of making herself ready, the bride will be judged thoroughly and rewarded abundantly. Verse 8 says, The fine linen is the righteous acts of God of the saints. Our works are judged post-salvation. You are not saved by works. You are saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. That's it. Okay. But your works are judged. Now, the question is this. Why the judgment seat of Christ? And again, I want to emphasize this. This is Andy Wood's work. I got two or three slides from him. It's not to judge sin. When, this is to tell us today, This is Jesus said, it is finished. The redemptive price has been paid. Your sins have been paid for. Your condemnation is paid for. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It is not to determine salvation. That is simply by believing and receiving the gift of salvation. But rather it is to give rewards or not get rewards. So that's what it's for. Now the next picture is very similar when does it occur? After the rapture. Where will it occur? In heaven, not on earth. In heaven, we go to Father's house where the, where the room has been added on. Who? All church-age believers. We're special. And why? To give or not give rewards. Now, this is very important. In, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, we see these words. It's talking about, Are your works gold, silver, or precious stones or are your works wood, hay, or stubble? You know all these things, okay? You're a good Bible students. And he says this, that day will declare, that bema seed seat judgment day will declare it. It will be revealed by fire, and that fire will test everyone's work of what sort it is. Now, this is where it gets a little bit interesting. If anyone's work which he has built on endures, endures the trial, endures the fire, comes out as real works for Jesus, not doing it for yourself, pretending it's for Jesus. Okay, we can do that pretty easily. If it endures, he'll receive a reward. That is a mythos. Mythos, and it is this, payment for service. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss. What is that loss? It's detriment. It's detriment. You'll have this sense of, oh man, I wish I would have worked for you, Lord. It's not going to be Jesus going, pointing his finger, saying, you shoulda, 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 oughta better. No, we'll sense. We will sense the distress of not serving him. And that work will be burned and he will suffer loss. He himself will be saved, yet as through the fire. So your works for salvation are very important. It'll be to determine what you'll be doing in the millennial reign of Christ. Now, Mark Hitchcock adds to this, we're going to be getting crowns. Crowns, and that's the next... The next one that'll come up on the screen are the crowns. Now, I don't know how many of these you're going to get, but there's an incorruptible crown for those who are actually engaged in the sanctification process, being conformed to the likeness of Christ are actually dealing with their flesh. Now look, don't get too down on yourself because this guy right here dies when we die. Okay. This is not something that we're going to have total victory over. But there should be, I, and I don't like to use the word should, but it is, it is important that you have a concept of growth in your Christian life. That we're growing. That we're not staying the same. That is the important thing. Get on the growth wagon. The crown of rejoicing is for soul winning. Some, some plants, some water, and then God gets, Jesus gets the harvest. The, the, the crown of life. This is for enduring trials, but you know what? It's also the martyr's crown. So those who die for their faith get this crown of life. But those who are just enduring this thing called life, they also get the crown. And then there's a crown of glory for those who are are shepherds. So this would be pastors and elders. And the crown of righteousness. And I hope that everybody in this church gets this one, longing for the return of Jesus Christ. I mean, that one, we have a good chance of getting. Okay. So when you feel a little bit down, living in Babylon, when you feel a little bit discouraged, I want you to think about this. The marriage of the Lamb is coming, and that is a big deal, and you are special to God. You are special to God. Verse 9 and 10, we're going to see the marriage supper. Then he said to me, Right blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper, invited to the marriage supper. The word is kaleo, invited. Mary's Supper of the Lamb, and he said to me, these are the true sayings of God. This is an angel speaking, and watch what John does. And I fell at his feet to worship him, but he said to me, see that you do not do that. I am your fellow servant and of your brethren. Now, can you imagine what these celestial beings look like? Because John's doing this kind of over and over. Who have the testimony of Jesus, worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of Prophecy. The marriage supper is a special celebration where the guests are invited. Now hear this. We call this today a wedding reception, a wedding reception. We celebrate the marriage covenant that the couple has engaged in with God and with one another. We recognize the marriage that is ordained by God. The guests again are the Old Testament saints and the tribulation saints And again, blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb in verse 9. Now, I want you to just focus on this for a second. John falls at this angel's feet and he is told, don't do that. Now, there's something to think about here today. The angel says, worship God and worship God only. That means none of your idols are to be worshipped. Our idols today are different than they were in the past, but they're still idols. In the third temptation of Christ, when Satan says to Jesus, worship me and I will give you all these kingdoms of the world. And he says in Matthew 4, 4, away with you, Satan, you shall worship the Lord, your God and him only shall you serve. Remember service is worship. What you do for God is worship. It is not just praising him like we do with our singing. It's not just the teaching of the word. It's serving him in whatever capacity he calls you to. People today, folks, are angel crazy. They have angel relics. They are worshiping angels. This is idolatry and should not be done. The satanic angels, they want that. The whole world system that we see that is under the influence of the... Babylonian system those false gods want to be worshiped how easily we are led astray by our feelings by what I think I should worship oh no worship the Lord God in him alone now just in closing the Bible says worship God in him alone exclamation point just put that indelibly in your minds now of course who wants to pervert this Satan wants to pervert this the world wants to pervert this. Everybody wants your worship. Satan will encourage the worship of anything but the true God. And people, it's astounding to me how we as people gravitate to false worship like flies to honey. Just right there. False God worship. Billions in our world today do this. A small sliver worship the true God in spirit and in truth. As Jesus said to the woman at the well in, in John 4, 24, did you ever wonder why false worship is so prevalent? I think there's a couple of reasons because I want to worship what I want to worship. I want to worship the God I want to worship. I want to worship the idols that I want. I'm in charge of my life. That's a, that's, that's one way weighty part of it. But a secondary thing is this or maybe the primary, the deceiver is at work. The deceiver is at work constantly in our world, and most fall for his lies. The vast majority do. Remember, who is Satan? He is a liar, and he is a murderer. That is who he is. That is who he is. It's good to remember, I think, right now, six things that God hates. Now, if you've zoned out, zone back in for just a second here. Six things God hates, seventh are an abomination in Proverbs chapter 6, verse 16 through 19. All of these are characteristics of Satan, and all of these are characteristics of us. We do this stuff. We have been influenced by Babylon. So think what think about these things that God hates. First thing is a haughty eye. You know what that is? That's pride. It reeks from us, folks. It reeks from us. Satan introduced pride. Second is a lying tongue. That's a Satan characteristic. And the world, just we just follow just so easily. Just Well, I just have to lie. It just makes it easier. No, a lying tongue God hates. Third, hands that shed innocent blood. He's a murderer. A heart that devises wicked schemes. Satan is the master at schemes. Feet that run to evil. A false witness who speaks lies. Satan is the father of lies. And listen to this one. That he is an expert of experts at. One who sows discord among the brethren. One who sows discomfort among the brethren. Satan is a mess maker. And he's he's an expert in churches. If you have been in a church any length of time, you've been in a mess. Okay? He's an expert as weaving his way in. Every human struggles with these seven things. It's our fallen nature. We don't realize how depraved we are, and we do not realize how we have been affected by this Babylonian system. All of us have been. Satan will always attempt to get you to act in your old nature, the old you, to revert to your fleshly self. And you know what he whispers to you in your ear? That you deserve whatever you want. You deserve this. I deserve, even if it's something that God doesn't want you I deserve this. Or they deserve payback. They deserve payback. Payback is fun. Make them squirm. I want my pound of flesh. That's what screams at us. When you recognize the I want my way attack, your job is to do this. You are Christians. You know what to do. We are to recognize Satan's schemes. Remember? Ephesians 6 is methodea. The way that he does things. He's very structured and ordered, orderly. His schemes. And we put on the full armor of God. Ephesians 6. And then recognize his schemes by submitting to God. James chapter 4, verse 78 says this Submit yourself to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee. Come near to God. And what will God do? Come near to you. And then Finally, recognize his schemes by taking captive every thought, that whisper. Oh, you should have this. This is going to be fun. This is going to be enjoyable. That little whisper that every single one of us hears, I think, multiple times during the day. Okay? Take captive your thoughts and make it obedient to Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 5. And hear this loud and clear. The battle is for control of your mind. Of your mind, your soul, your thoughts, your feelings, your emotions, your allegiance. It's a continual mind war. He who controls the mind controls whom? The person. The person. You are victors. Nikeo. For victors win by staying close to their power source. Now you know this. Dwelling Christ. Live filled with the Holy Spirit. But I want you to also think about something. This Christian walk is not neutral. In other words, you can't just put it in in neutral and think you're not going to be affected. Remember, you take your oars out of the water. Where do they go? Where do you go? You drift backwards always. You stay out of fellowship. You get out of God's word. You get out of prayer. You will drift. And I'm telling you, it is fast and it is ugly and it is amazing how fast, quickly we can become flesh be a victor not a victim stay close to your power source now it is important living in this babylonian system that you remember three things number one know who you are know that you are a follower of jesus messiah That we represent him and the world sees us. We have a responsibility to represent him more than ourselves. We must become less. What did John say? He must become less. Jesus must become greater. That's the same in each one of our lives. We must become less. Secondly, accept who you are. Now, you guys know my history. I've said this multiple times. If you've been with me any length of time, I wanted to be Mickey Mantle. Well, I can't be Mickey Mantle. I'm just Rick Gorm. I can't run like Mickey Mantle. I can't bat like Mickey Mantle. I can't catch flies like Mickey Mantle. So I, just, I need to know that I can't be him. I just need to be me. And that's the same thing for you. You do not have to be like somebody else. And thirdly, be who you are as a Christian. Don't chameleonize. Don't blend with the world. Don't be a phony. Show the world the changed you. Show the world the real you in Christ. Folks, you're the bride of Christ with much to look forward to. And realize because you're the bride of Christ, you have a target or a bullseye on your back. So your job as the bride is to do this. Watch and what? Be ready. Watch and be ready. Watch and be ready for the enemy to attack you in these seven areas that we discussed. Watch and be ready, folks, for the best is yet to come. A celebration with our Lord, a feast that we'll have with Him. We do have much to look forward to. How should the bride look? Let me ask you this question. You are living here. So, no gloomy faces, no sad sack, poor me. Head down posture. We belong to the King. Now, this is how the bride is to look. Uh huh. Not to look. How many Christians look like this? I'm mad. I'm disappointed. Poor me. Hey, we have a lot to look forward to. That is not what we want to project to this world. The sad bride, the poor me. We are to be grateful, expectant, and longing for our Lord. The bride has made herself ready. Let it sink in. You are the bride of Christ. And I kid you not. Hear this. The best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. Now, you think you're done? Oh, no, you're not done. There's one little finale here. Clay Jones in his book, Why Does God Allow Evil, writes this about heaven. And hear these words. Everybody focus for just a second. He says this. The creator, which is Jesus, by him all things were made And without him, nothing was made that has been made. That is what the scripture says. Jesus was part of the God, is is a part of the Godhead that did the creating. The creator of the stars, the moons, the planets, the Milky Way galaxy, the creator of all the colors of yellow, orange, pink, purple sunsets. He will be there. He will be there. And guess what? You will be there. You will be there. The creator of not just the worlds, but quasars, black holes, star clusters, and galaxies that you cannot number, and no two are alike. You think you're going to get bored? No way. He goes on to say that Clay Jones says this, for goodness sakes, he makes snowflake, he makes, makes no two snowflakes alike. We'll be there. A crystal river will flow from God's throne And that the river will be lined with the tree of life, which bears 12 crops of fruit and its leaves, that will heal the nations in Revelation 22.2. And we will be there taking this fruit and eating it freely. And it's going to be great. It's going to be great. We will be there. And know that there is one whose voice was like the sound of many waters, like a sound of loud thunder. And the voice which I heard was like the sound of harpist. Playing their strings. Isn't that amazing? It's loud, but it's so soothing. And we'll be there. We are told there's a throne in heaven, and, and, and the one sitting on the throne had the appearance of jasper. There was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald, and his temple was adorned with every kind of jewel, including the deep purplish sapphire, the Amherst, the bluish green barrel gold, yellow, topaz, green, emerald, orange, red, janeth. I don't even know what these are. And pale blue calcany, he will be there. And guess what? We will be there. We will be there. When Jesus creates out of nothing, and this is actually taken from Roy's talk, when he creates out of nothing a new heaven and a new earth, who's going to be there? We will be there. We're going to see that event. I mean, isn't that the most astounding thing? I look forward to getting know the one, he goes on, he finishes with this, the one and holy one and being with him and enjoying him and communing with him and me and you forever. And I look forward to doing all of this for billions and billions and billions of years. Folks, we will be there at the marriage of the lamb. We will be there. It's something to look forward to forever forever. And I kid you not, the best is yet to come. Remember Stretch Armstrong? It is worth it to be stretched for our Lord. Be there. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time that you've given us to study your word. And thank you that you teach us things that we need to know. And Holy Spirit, I ask that you would touch each one of our hearts here today. God, we really need to hear from you to personalize this, not just be hearers doers of the word. I know Lord that you speak to each one of our hearts as I'm preparing this. You speak to me all the time and, and I'm thankful for that. Let us hear you. Holy spirit. If there's idols that we're dealing with, help us to throw those away. If there's service that we need to do, help us to do that seven times. You said that. In Joshua 24, serve, serve God, serve God, worship God, worship God, fear God, fear God, serve him. Or may we do that? That's what life is about here. It's getting to know you more and more and you becoming preeminent in our lives. God, help that to happen to us. We need you more than we need anything. And by the way, Lord, I just want to take a moment to say thank you that you are so gentle and kind and long-suffering with me that so many times I have not done what you have called me to do. And thank you for the times that I have obeyed, that you have blessed me beyond my ability to imagine. And I say, thank you, Lord. Thank you for being in my life. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.